Lake Tahoe, the jewel of the Sierra. This deep blue alpine lake nestled in the beautiful Sierra Nevada mountains is a land of magic, wonder, and fascination. Welcome to Legends of Lake Tahoe, the podcast for those of us who always seek to know more. Hello, and welcome to Season 2 of Legends of Lake Tahoe. I'm Bo Johnson, and I'm happy to have you back with us. I'd like to say a big thank you to all of our listeners. We appreciate you, and we appreciate your support. Thank you so much. At the end of last season, life threw a couple of curveballs, and the season ended up being shorter than I'd anticipated. And uh, since then, I've been thinking of new ideas for the show, new subjects, My love for Lake Tahoe is stronger than ever, and April seems like a great time to restart the podcast. So thank you once again for being here. I do really appreciate it, and I hope everybody likes the show. Without further ado, I present Legends of Lake Tahoe, Season 2, Episode 1, Harvey Gross. Segment 1. Six slot machines and a wagon wheel. As you approach the state line dividing California and Nevada, you notice Harvey's Lake Tahoe before reaching Nevada. At first glance, the sleek, sparkling towers appear to be made entirely of glass, their mirrored surfaces reflecting the glorious mountains, lake, sky, and maybe even snow located all around. Evoking images of Geneva, or maybe Monte Carlo, the resort is nestled among the sugar pine trees along Lake Tahoe's southern coast, with a 360-degree perspective without parallel. An alpine lake surrounded by the towering Sierra Nevada mountains. Stars reflected in the lake's surface, the moon shining down from above. Maybe we can think of Harvey's as the diamond in Lake Tahoe's pinky ring, a sparkling gem placed on the shore of the Jewel of the Sierra beckoning passers-by to stop in for a spell, try their luck at fortune, and maybe even love, with hopes of conjuring some of that Lake Tahoe magic along the way, and maybe take a little home with them. Would you believe all of this started with six slot machines in a roadside saloon? Well, it did. So sit back, relax, and get ready for the colorful tale of a colorful character, a man by the name of Harvey Gross whose vision and passion sparked a twinkle of an idea into one of the brightest spots on the lake. The year was 1937, and the United States was in the later stages of the Great Depression. It was a time of transformation plagued by hardship and travail. Harvey Gross, who had established himself as a successful Sacramento butcher and meat wholesaler, sat down to discuss the future with his devoted wife, Llewellyn the couple decided to up stakes and exchange their bustling city lives for something much different, somewhere much different, maybe closer to the earth, maybe more in tune with nature. Were they also exchanging predictability and security for adventure and unknown risk? Probably, but they were just the sort of folks who could and did pull it off. Upon arrival, Harvey established a meat market in the South Lake Tahoe area. 
The couple were filling an obvious need, and soon they found their flesh trade thriving much as it had in the state capital. For several years, the industrious couple were busy supplying the meat needs of the surrounding communities. It was a good life, a full life, and we can imagine a rewarding new chapter for these city folk turned alpine pioneers. But then something changed. Of course, there's no way to know why or how this occurred, but it did. Sometime during those early years in Tahoe, Harvey's thinking began to change. And maybe Llewellyn's did too. We can imagine them looking around the store and thinking, how many more years of our lives do we want to spend knee-deep in blood and guts and cartilage? The answer turned out to be not many. They knew there had to be another way. They just had to figure out how. We can further imagine that Harvey had his ears pricked, his feelers out, and his antenna honed to the right idea, should it come along. And one day, that's just what happened. Whether the idea was sparked in the mind of Harvey or Llewellyn, we never will know. But I like to think, as with most aspects of their life together, that it was a joint effort. The couple might have been sitting in front of a roaring fire, relaxing after a day chock full of meat work, turned to each other and thought, what about some slot machines? Harvey and Llewellyn had spent several years surrounded by pioneers of all sorts, people who amounted to true gamblers. Only rather than money being their currency of chance, these courageous individuals were wagering their careers and the lives of themselves and their families. Would these brave and hardy people find appeal in a true game of chance? Should one appear inside a trusted establishment? You bet they would. Harvey and Llewellyn Gross officially opened Harvey's Wagon Wheel Saloon and Gambling Hall in 1944, christening the moment by nailing a wagon wheel above the door. In addition to the six slot machines of legend, the Grosses built a one-room log cabin, constructed a lunch counter, added some tables for card players, and, perhaps most importantly, boasted the only 24-hour gas pump in the South Tahoe area. Yes, the wagon wheel became a must-visit roadside stop. Weary drivers of newfangled automobiles and their even wearier passengers, grateful for a respite from the dusty, muddy, maybe even snowy road, filled their bellies at the lunch counter and their cars at the gas pumps. Then they noticed the slot machines and maybe thought, why not take those reels for a twirl or two? We can imagine what probably began as innocent and harmless fun for some soon morphed into a must-have sensation for others. Gambling seems to reside in a special corner of human DNA, a corner where it simply can't be gotten at entirely. The difference between individuals being simply one of degree. In the lean and mean early years of the wagon wheel, Harvey and Llewellyn worked long hours. They manned the gas pumps, prepared and served food, and did just about every other job a gambling lodge might require. As if this weren't enough, they also doubled as the budding casino's first, and for a while only, house card dealers. Life was full and getting fuller for the grosses, and the pioneering couple seemed a perfect fit. William Ledbetter, the couple's only son-in-law, describes the pair as complimenting each other, describing Llewellyn as a woman of action, and Harvey as having applauding business nature. She was the driving force behind many of their gaming endeavors, with Harvey arranging, fixing, and figuring out the logistical and financial side of things. 
The six slot machines were immediately a nice little profit-making sideshow to the business of gas, food, and lodging. They would soon increase in number as the business of gambling would evolve and constantly grow, eventually eclipsing all else to become the primary source of revenue for Harvey and Llewellyn. Gambling would continue its dominant run to become the largest source of revenue for the entire economic region. Once that wagon wheel got rolling, it became a veritable force of nature, the impact of which would shape the business development of South Lake Tahoe for years to come. Segment 2, Top of the Mountain. As is often the case with legends, the early stories are among the best. Back in the early 1940s, South Lake Tahoe was snowbound for long stretches during the winter, and Highway 50, the main conduit from the California side, completely closing for weeks, even months at a time. Harvey Gross knew that keeping the Echo Summit Pass open year-round was crucial to a successful business, and also critical regarding the successful business development of the greater South Tahoe region. Quoting Richard Chandler's Tahoe Daily Tribune article, Gross wasn't afraid to roll up his sleeves, and with several other Tahoe residents, grabbed shovels and dug out the road at Echo Summit themselves, just to prove it could be done. Consequently, a maintenance station was built the following year on Echo Summit to keep Highway 50 open during the winter, and Tahoe as we know it was born. This is hardly an understatement. Establishing Highway 50 as a reliable year-round thoroughfare was a game-changer that truly enabled a much more expansive development of South Lake Tahoe and the surrounding area. And to think that all of this was sparked by some hardy residents who weren't afraid of the cold, or a little challenge like digging out a mountain summit? Harvey Gross leading the way, with a shovel in his hand, a gleam in his eye, and a smile on his face. This can-do, will-do attitude represented a guiding ethos for Harvey and Llewellyn Gross. During the 1950s, the couple worked hard, expanding their gaming footprint and consistently adding new staff members, new games, and an ever-growing plethora of slot machines. In fact, for a time, Harvey's claimed to have the most slot machines under one roof than any other casino in the world. This was more than likely true. Of course, slot machines weren't the only game in town. The innovative spirit of Llewellyn, combined with the innate business horse sense of Harvey, proved a fruitful combination as the couple added new ways for patrons to try their hand at the wheel of chance with roulette or bet on the tumbling dice with craps. Numerous card table games joined the list of gambles vying for the attention of guests walking their casino floor. Harvey's casino flourished throughout the 1950s and into the 60s. Harvey, the man, briefly considered retirement and then quickly came to his senses. Instead of calling it a career, Harvey and Llewellyn embarked on a massive expansion project, transforming the humble wagon wheel into the glorious Harvey's Resort Hotel and Casino, which included an 11-story tower housing nearly 200 rooms. The newly refurbished Harvey's completed in 1963, 
was the first and only tower on the shore of Lake Tahoe. Once Harvey and Llewellyn had created this shining new attraction at the lake, they knew the next step was to promote it relentlessly. And that's just what they did. Buying up real estate on billboards lining Highway 50, and probably constructing a few too. Travelers driving through the Sierra Nevada mountains while enjoying the gorgeous natural scenery all around would also be a captive audience to giant advertisements, spaced just far apart to stay on your mind, but not enough to be annoying. By the time the car pulled into South Lake Tahoe, who wouldn't be hankering for a scrumptious steak supper for $2.99? Harvey's boasted another newfangled amenity, too. A shuttle bus that would travel around to different hotels transporting guests free of charge to and from the casino. This proved to be an inspired move. A relatively inexpensive method for funneling guests directly to the front door of the casino and then kindly returning them home, depleted of funds. The guests could at least feel somewhat compensated by the free meal and kino game that came along with the bus ride. Tragedy struck in 1964. Llewellyn died after inhaling carbon monoxide fumes coming from a leak in her car's exhaust system. She was only 58 years old. Harvey was devastated. The pallbearers at her unexpected funeral included Nevada's governor and lieutenant governor of the time. Mourning the loss of his wonderful friend and companion, Harvey turned to his beloved casino for solace, and we can imagine in doing so, felt a little closer to his partner of so many years. The expansion and subsequent promotion blitz Harvey orchestrated with his late wife paid off handsomely, with visitors to Lake Tahoe flocking to Harvey's in larger droves than ever before. The 1960s and 70s proved to be even more profitable. Crowds continued to increase, gaming options became ever more varied, and the money flowed in like snowmelt from the Sierra Nevadas rushing down steep ravines. In the mid-1980s, annual revenue at Harvey's was at its peak, and still rising at over $70 million, including over $4 million in pure profit. Due to Harvey's financial savvy and oversight, the business was virtually debt-free, a rarity throughout corporate American history. Like the reels of a slot machine, I just tumbled past a key event in the life of Harvey Gross the 1980 bombing of his casino, an event that once again demonstrated the kind of person he was. I'll be right back with this Believe It or Not tale. Segment 3. Brazenness Betters Bomb It was early in the morning on August 26, 1980, when two delivery men pulled up in a white van and unloaded a large crate, which they delivered to the second floor of the casino. Because deliveries of all shapes and sizes arrived at unscheduled times fairly regularly, this particular drop-off didn't arouse suspicion at first. While casino managers were still debating a course of action, a ransom note arrived. Inside the crate was a silver metal box about the size of a chest freezer on four small wheels, with a small silver box welded to the top. 
The bomb maker claimed that the bomb was unable to be disarmed, even by the builder himself, and this turned out to be true. If Harvey's would pay a ransom of $3 million, about $10 million in today's money, he would provide instructions for moving the bomb to a remote location to be detonated. Any attempts to disarm or otherwise manipulate the bomb, including moving it, could result in a massive explosion. The ransom note even stated that the screws themselves were wired to trigger detonation if turned even a quarter of an inch. To quote the actual ransom note, which can be found in the open FBI archives online and is worth reading, this bomb is so sensitive that the slightest movement either inside or outside will cause it to explode. Do not try to move, disarm, or enter this bomb. It will explode. Hidden inside the mechanism was 1,000 pounds of dynamite. The FBI arrived soon after the ransom note and took over the bomb scene. After studying the ransom note and determining that removing the bomb would be too risky, agents decided that the only alternative was to attempt to disarm it inside the building. All hotel staff and every guest were evacuated, cars were cleared from nearby parking spaces, and the FBI bomb squad set up shop alongside the bomb. The strategy to disarm consisted of using C4, a type of plastic explosive, to separate the detonator from the dynamite, thereby breaking the circuit, making an explosion impossible. But FBI agents had not considered one crucial possibility, that there might be more TNT in the separate box containing the detonator circuit, which turned out to be just the case. The C4 explosion set off this separate section of dynamite, which in turn, of course, made the entire bomb explode spectacularly. Fortunately, due to extensive safety measures, not a single person was killed or injured, despite the bomb destroying much of the hotel, creating a massive hole five stories tall. Many of the windows in Harrah's across the street were shattered by the blast, too. The bomber might not have been caught, had it not been for an offhand remark made by one of his sons to his girlfriend at the time about the bomb. She stopped seeing this guy's son, started seeing another guy, and told him about the bomb. This man then notified the FBI... And soon, they were at the door of John Burgess, who was arrested, convicted, and sadly passed away in prison. John Burgess turned out to be a troubled gambler with a giant axe to grind with Harvey's Resort and Casino, having reportedly lost $750,000 there over the course of several years. That's about $2.5 million in today's money. Why he considered a ransom amount nearly exactly four times his gambling losses is anybody's guess. But that's just what he did. The bomb itself would become legendary within the FBI and go on to have a somewhat storied history of its own. Replicas of the bomb were used to train agents for the next 30 years, and it still remains the most complex, improvised explosive device ever encountered by the FBI. As the bomb went down in FBI history, so did Harvey Gross's reaction to its blast. He stood in front of his casino and wept, allowing the loss and love to flow through his soul, for Harvey Gross loved his casino and probably everything about it. After his tears dried and his emotions had settled somewhat, Harvey quickly decided that there was only one thing to do. Rebuild, and rebuild better than before. A mere nine months later, Harvey was rejoicing at the grand reopening. The total bill for reconstruction approached $20 million, but Harvey considered this money well spent. Once again, he turned out to be correct. Given the long streak of successful, profitable years and the virtually debt-free financial status of the company, Harvey and Llewellyn were often asked about plans to expand their little mountain empire. 
the couple steadfastly refused all offers, with Harvey famously repeating his pat answer, I have a nice little business. How many steaks can I eat? The ghost couple were devoted to their community, and this is where much of their wealth finally found a home. The list of important civic contributions of Harvey and Llewellyn Gross is wide-ranging and impressive. Most impressive, perhaps, is that they made sure to give back in a way that helped all citizens in the region. They worked their magic in small ways by providing scholarships to local students and jobs for disabled folks. The couple was also instrumental in the establishment of both the medical center and Barton Memorial Hospital. They also contributed to the establishment of the South Tahoe Airport. They were a man and woman of the people for sure, but more importantly, they were for the people, and in fact, for the entire South Tahoe region. Harvey Gross passed away in 1983 at the age of 78. The empire he had built with Llewellyn would continue to expand, and his family remain involved, but things would never be quite the same again. As is often the case with larger-than-life legends, after his passing, Harvey's resort and casino continued its upward trajectory, laid out so well by its founder. In 1986, at the cost of $74 million, a second 18-story tower was added to the original 11-story tower, whose famous giant wagon wheel was removed that same year. On February 15, 1994, Harvey's went public and became a listed company on the New York Stock Exchange, ticker symbol HVY. Joint ventures with other casino operations soon followed. In 2001, Harvey's was acquired by Harris Entertainment for $625 million. Years later, Harvey's was leased back to Caesars Entertainment. Harvey's Resort and Casino today is a glass and steel behemoth, nestled in the same lakeside spot in South Lake Tahoe, beckoning to all for miles around. The lights are brighter and more numerous, the games are wilder than ever, and the money flows in like never before. I've been there, and I've seen it. I've contributed to it many times. The signs of success are everywhere. Despite all of this, however, I can't help sometimes feeling that all of this wealth has come at some sort of cost, that Harvey Gross was right all along with his satisfied statement about stakes. He had more than enough to live life the way he wanted to. He knew it, and he felt no need to acquire wealth for wealth's sake. Part of me longs to return to the days before the second 18-story tower, before Llewellyn's tragic accident, before the famous bomb was blown up by the FBI, back to a time when that wagon wheel was still firmly over the door, and Harvey Gross could be found plying the crowded casino floor, joyously and boisterously glad-handing guests and spreading the love, which he had so much to give. A simpler time, a kinder time perhaps, but above all an era when everything was a lot slower, people really took the time to get to know one another. Harkening back to the very early years before Harvey and friends dug out Echo Summit when winter at the resort really meant no business at all, the staff, which by now resembled a family of sorts, would sit around the fire together, roast marshmallows, and entertain each other with the stories of their lives, hopes, and dreams. Harvey and Llewellyn would reach the pinnacles of commercial accomplishment. Looking back through this window in time reveals one secret to their success. The love they had for each other extended beyond themselves to embrace the world around them. That's our show for today, and thank you for listening. We appreciate your support. We'd like to thank our information sources, including the UNLV Center for Gaming Research, Richard Chandler and the Tahoe Daily Tribune, 
the International Directory of Company Histories, Harveys.com, Lake Tahoe News Archives, the FBI Archives, and the FBI itself. Music produced by Jeff Harvey and Julius H. Sound effects courtesy of Pixabay.com. A very special thanks to Squeak Steel and her ragtime piano. If you have questions, comments, or just want to say hello, please send us an email, legendsoflaketahoe at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you back in the mountains soon.